1: This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment.
2: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. This is the Fast Break Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Anderson, and I thought I would be alone for this, but I'm not. Over the phone, like an angel, Dave Oster. Hey, everybody. And this is the second time I'm recording this podcast to give a little brief, uh, you know, idea of what's happened. And I'll I'll tell Dave, too, because I haven't talked to him. I miss my buddy who's currently out in Summer League. Uh, Ricky is, too, but uh, whatever. Um, uh, But to tell you, Dave, I recorded yesterday, had Jake on the phone, recorded a three-segment podcast, had it all done, was about to edit. I just got home, was about to edit, and the news broke. And I was like, motherfucker. Um, It was a great time, and I'm kind of glad because we would have gotten a lot of feedback from the Knicks on the losers part of the winners and losers of NBA free agency, and the Pelicans uh, segment I recorded was absolutely horrible. So, round two, let's give it a shot. It should be a fun time, and we're obviously talking about the Kawhi Leonard news. Uh, I was joking, Dave, uh, before on the solo podcast that we were pretty much in the dark on all of this, and we were relying on Chris Carter to break all of the news surrounding Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Yikes. Unfortunately and thankfully, he was not the source of news uh, that we could be trusted. And it was Wojnowski that dropped the bomb that has Kawhi Leonard signing with the Clippers for a four year 142 max and the Clippers acquiring Paul George. They acquire the Oklahoma City Thunder, Shea Gilders-Alexander and Danilo Gallinari and I believe five picks. It is a full three un uh, So it's a it's uh, three unprotected first round picks in 2022, 2024 and 2026 And they give Oklahoma City the right to swap first rounders in intervening years. So in 2023 and in 2025, and as well, they got two other first round picks, mainly that 2021 Miami pick. Uh, So we'll start off by just saying we're going to talk about the Clippers in a segment. We'll talk about OKC and how it affects them in a segment. And then we'll talk about the Raptors in a segment. And there's going to be a weird break. That after the OKC segment, there's going to be a segment with Jake on the Seventy Sixers. That is pre Kawhi Leonard. It might be weird, but giving you a heads up now. But that's the way it does because I didn't, rec- you know, record an outro for that, Dave. That's how it. That's how it happens. Uh, but let's What's jump up, into man? it. Let's jump into it. Kawhi Leonard is now a Clipper. What was your immediate reaction? Because you guys were sleeping.
0: Uh, yeah. I woke up to this news at about 6 a.m. and proceeded to whip a pillow across the room hitting Ricky in the face <laughs> and just screamed at him for about 10 seconds about the news because it was like, what the fuck is happening? And then I was just like scrolling through Discord trying to read everything to catch up with you guys. Um, it was an amazing way to wake up and I'm sure Ricky forgave me pretty quickly for whipping a pillow at his head uh, for dropping that news bomb on him. Um, no, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome because the the parody in the NBA has never been better. Like, this team for the Clippers is going to be insane defensively because, like you said, it's not only Kawhi Leonard, it's also the Paul George shit on top of it, which is just, you know, there's a lot of mixed feelings around that situation because the whole, like, are we supposed to feel good that Kawhi Leonard convinced Paul George to demand a trade-out after signing, you know, the deal, you know, on the eve of Paul George Day in Oklahoma City? You know, is it a little scummy? Maybe. But does it make for an amazing team and a story for the Clippers? Absolutely.
2: Well, let's get into that because I'm I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it because I do want to talk about the secrecy surrounding this whole Kawhi stuff uh, because, you know, whenever we hear news, it's pretty instant. Whenever that stuff happens, that's immediately getting sent to us. And apparently Monday, so a whole five days it took for us to know that Paul George demanded a trade and that it was all dependent on Kawhi and uh, the Clippers. Getting Paul George to the Clippers for him to sign there, I find that absolutely fascinating. That did did not break at all. You're finding it scummy.
0: Well, I, I think the, the, the scummy part is the fact that you know Kawhi is the one who is going out and like being like Paul. You should demand a trade from your team, and we can play together. Well, like we just gave you know LeBron criticism because Rich Paul and Anthony Davis and that whole drama and saga of basically poaching a player from another team under contract. To tell him, you want to demand a trade to get out and play with me. It, it's a little different because it's Kawhi Leonard versus LeBron James, and it's in the off season versus the regular season. Um, but with all that being said, it is still kind of interesting that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of backlash about this uh, contact and poaching, you know?
2: Well, I think the biggest reason why is just because that's the NBA today. I mean, we we are just kind of conditioned to all this. It happened, and... You know, in any other sport, it would probably be a scandal in some ways. But in the NBA, it's like, whatever. I mean, we see Kyrie and Kevin Durant just being like, yeah, they were playing this out before the season. Like, true. that's just true. the way that this stuff happens in the NBA. And I agree that we were totally blindsided by it. And I can totally see the part of, like, you know, where the hell did this come from? But in the end... This is historic. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. And if, if this is what the players wanted, it's what the players wanted. I know people in Oklahoma City are probably pissed off at Paul George, and they rightly, rightfully should be. I mean, you sign a five-year contract to stay at a place, and you end up leaving just because your buddy wants to play with you. Now, I'm not blaming Paul George, but that's what the fans would think, at least in OKC, and I totally understand. I would not you know, blame them for feeling that way. And I think it's ultimately crazy because now you look at the NBA and you talk about the parity part. And I talked about this yesterday, the way that the NBA uh, would shape out, specifically the West, and the way that the Pelicans could possibly sneak into the playoffs. And obviously, I threw in Oklahoma City. But even before this, you know, news and this 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 uh, trade happened, I was still putting them lower half, and they had two stars in Russell Westbrook and Paul George. And you look at now this Western Conference, and you have Steph and Clay. Obviously, Clay hurt, but. You have Steph, Clay, and D'Angelo, along with Draymond at, in Golden State. You have Denver, solid young nucleus of Jokic, Murray, and Harris. And then you have Portland with CJ and Dame. Houston with Chris Paul and James Harden. Utah with now Mike Conley and uh, Donovan Mitchell. OKC just left alone with Russell Westbrook. San Antonio with De- uh, Demar and LaMarcus. LA with Kawhi and Paul George. Sacramento with that young nucleus led by uh, Darren Fox. The Lakers, obviously, with LeBron James and AD. Minnesota That's with Wiggins market. and Cat.
0: You gotta oh, give the cousins mention and too, and
2: the three point five million dollar player in Demarcus Cousins. Remember when I said I should have maxed them? <laughs> uh, Memphis, who's just buying out terrible confer- co- contracts. Minnesota with Cat and Wiggins. I think I sent them just in case. Pelicans, who are super young and interesting with Zion. Dallas, who are super young and interesting with KP and Luca, and then the Suns, who are the Suns. But you know, if they, you know, if Booker and Aiton take steps, they could be a dangerous, uh, you know, force out there. So looking at that Western Conference, clearly the Clippers are moving ahead of the, of this whole pack, but where would you put them right now?
0: One? I mean, honestly, one. It, it, it's it's scary as hell, because Paul George was the near uh, MVP last year. I think he was, what, fourth in MVP voting? He um, had an incredible year. Uh, his shooting trailed off a little bit, but his defense was incredible. The on-off numbers supported that the whole season. And just adding him... As a, um amazing two-way player, you add Qui Leonard who, you know, he may only give you 60 games, but those 60 games are going to have him a super high win percentage because he's clutch, he's, he's just a great scorer, great defender, go, can take anyone ISO, and the, the defense, the scoring, you talk about the depth on that Clippers team between Montrose Harrell, Lou Will, Pat Bev, uh, you have Shaman on the bench now, like they just have pieces everywhere and just gritty defensive starting four, uh, especially with Mo Harkless now. I mean, they just they've got options for everything. It's it's a really impressively built lineup, and I mean, all credit to Jerry West. Like, this is some fucking masterpiece shit again. I, I don't mm-hmm. know how he keeps doing this.
2: Yeah, Paul George ended up third in voting. Uh, Jokic was fourth. I I said preseason. Oh, right, would, right. And yeah. he would have been third, so fuck the media for that one. Uh, <laughs> but going back to the Jerry West thing, I, he is a genius, but The question that I saw immediately pop up where people were saying, oh, well, everyone said that the Pelicans stole this from the the Lakers and that they paid too much. And now that Paul George is coming out and people can make the argument that AD is a better player than Paul George, uh, Mm -hmm. although Paul George finished third in MVP voting this year, that, you know, the Clippers giving up uh, what they gave up in a great player in Shady Gilders, Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, who's going to free up $18 million after this year and can still contribute to a team uh, for Oklahoma City and then giving them five picks pretty much. I mean, you're not likely going to see those pick swaps happen just because the Clippers are most likely going to be better than the Thunder. But in the end, you're getting three unprotected first and then along with that coveted Miami pick. And there's another one in there as well, but I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but I know the, the Miami one was in there. Um, you look at all of that, and do you think it's more value than they should have give up, less value than they should have give up, and how would you compare it to the AD trade?
0: Uh, I think value wise, I've never seen draft picks have less value like at this point. I don't know if it's less value or more value at any point in the NBA. Just it's it's weird because we're just seeing them moved in mass quantities to get things done for teams. And I mean, credit to the Clippers for stockpiling those picks up. But, at the same time, it's the question of, okay, if you're betting on yourselves being able to you know maintain the Kawhi leonard p g uh combo together for more than three years, four years, then you're fine with this deal like that's basically the answer, which is actually asking a lot in today's nBA with the way players move around. there's no guarantee that this is a long term stay I mean, yes, we'd all like to believe that Paul George and are home, they're gonna be happy there and they like the system, they like the coach, everything works out great for them, but there are no guarantees in the NBA with player contracts these days. So those picks, you know, what today seems like five picks, well, you know, a couple picks and a couple picks swaps, you know, in a couple of years could look great, could look terrible. It could be, you know, the Nets all over again. Mm-hmm. I think value wise, Paul George, Anthony Davis, uh, the Paul George price feels less today, uh, because you don't have names attached. I mean, those are, those are, you know, like, Basically, the last pick is, what, like a 12-year-old right now, right? I mean, it, you don't even... It, it's hard to conceptualize the value for a pick in 2025, you know? Yeah. So I think because of all the talent and names that were exchanged for Anthony Davis' trade, that one seems like it had the heavier cost to pay. It does kind of make sense, though, now, because, like, okay, well, they had to pay that because maybe the Clippers were in it to try to get Anthony Davis to be their second star instead of Paul George initially. Mm-hmm. Uh So, you know, they weren't just bidding against themselves. Perhaps. But I think value-wise, uh, the Clippers did a great job because those picks in the future, if everything goes right, you know, they're 20 through 30 picks. And while they may have picked some gems from that section in the past, you know, at this point in time, I think that they're going to be able to get some depth picks in the second round if they ever need to, or they'll have role players that can kind of like rotate through. But I mean, they're on a championship track and young talent is not something you need to, you don't need draft picks in the next couple of years help finish out a championship roster
2: yeah we're going to start broad and then narrow in and I kind of want to talk about that value and stick with that idea of the picks that they gave up and I think the reason why people kind of hated on what the Lakers did was obviously one it's the Lakers and Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's and you bring up a good point about the names too I think the biggest thing that People are taking away is you're getting hate because you're the Lakers, but no one's saying it's a bad deal. You traded for Anthony Davis. You got to start next to LeBron. You have to hit that window. If someone's saying that's a bad deal, they're most likely a Laker hater. I, I, the Pelicans got a great haul and sort of the Thunder, but in the end, I don't think it's it's really crazy value either way. And that's mainly just because if we look at this deal, it's going to have Paul George joining the Clippers with two more years. Uh, 68 million remaining, plus a 37.8 million player option in 2021. All right, so they got at least Paul George and Kawhi for two years, and I think the reason why it doesn't matter about these values and those picks, like you were saying, is it might hurt you in you know 2025, but it won't matter if you get this team their first title in history. And I Mm -hmm. think that's what it's becoming because it is so volatile that players are leaving and moving all around the NBA and it might hurt you instead of helping you. So, right now, you got to benefit and you got to attack those times that it is helping you. You're not going to have the opportunity to get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George again. Maybe if you waited a little bit longer, you would have been able to get bigger names down the line. But right now, everyone's in an idea of we need to win, win, win right now. And especially Steve Ballmer, who just bought the team fairly recently, is probably feeling that he needs to hit on this. And Jerry West isn't getting any younger, so he's probably feeling that he needs to hit on, the, on, on this window. And, yeah, I mean, look at
0: look at the Cavs. No one's regretting, you know, sacrificing the future to get that championship window when they had it. And we're going to talk about the Raptors
2: later. I don't think Raptor Mm -hmm. fans are going to be pissed off about this. I mean, they're probably bummed out that Kawhi's not returning, but they probably had the feeling since that trade was made with the Spurs that he wasn't coming back. Exactly. So I, I find it crazy that like this happened, this deal happened. And I think that we'll probably see more like this that teams that are in lower markets like San Antonio, and and they're they're still a great basketball city, but they are a smaller market, and obviously Oklahoma City a smaller market as well, they're going to take that ability to grow and pick homegrown talent like they've done before. That's how the Spurs got great before, picking Manu, picking Tony, picking uh, Robinson, picking Duncan. And then also with the Thunder, they picked KD. Uh, Well, the Supersonics did. Uh, The Supersonics slash Thunder picked Westbrook. And the Thunder picked James Harden. They built all of that from the ground up. And that's where they're going to need to attack. Where teams like Los Angeles, uh, you know, Lakers and Clippers, uh, Knicks and Nets, and then hopefully Chicago, for you guys' sakes, uh, will be able to attract these big stars. But it's really just now based on the owner and what they're offering to these players. And if we look at what the Clippers were offering to Kawhi Leonard, it was the ability to start at a new place again, like he was at the Raptors. You know, no titles, no legends around him. And then, as well, giving him a stability owner, owner, and a great you know head of basketball operations like they, they, he had before in Toronto and, and in San Antonio, going from Pop to Masai, Masai Yuri, uh and then to uh, Jerry West, pretty much. That's a great transition a great three team. You know, move right there. And you look at the ownerships as well. Balmer, uh, I don't know who the fuck owns the Spurs, but that's probably a good thing. You probably shouldn't know the owners. Uh, and <clears throat> same with the Raptors, too. I don't know who the fuck owns them, but they're probably doing a good job if they're you know not in the news. Jerry Reinstor's hated because he's bad. James Dolan is hated because he's bad. The Lakers owners are phenom- uh, synonymous because they're bad, a la Jeannie Buss. Uh, or, you know, her, her dad in the opposite way. He was so great building franchises uh, that he was well-known. Um, so, yeah. In the end, I think that's why, you know, the this move to the Clippers happened and I think that's why the the deal makes sense just because you got to hit on this window if you're the Clippers. Let's move now into 2019 for the Clippers. You said it does make them the best team in the NBA, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about the lineup and what's make what makes them the best. They brought back Patrick Beverly. Uh he'll be one of the starting guards most likely for them. Uh they have Lou Williams, six man of the year for 15 years straight what it feels like. Uh, they have Landry Schammett, uh still around. Traded Shea Gilgis. How do you feel about that?
0: I think I think it was worth it. I mean, Shea looks like he'll be a really nice player. Uh, do I know if he's going to be a superstar yet? No. He's got great size. He's got great instincts, though. So, and he's going to be a good player.
2: Yeah. But he kind of feels like a Thunder player, right?
0: But, yeah, I was going to say, athletically gifted. Uh, basketball-wise, he's way more skilled than the majority of their picks have been in the last couple of years.
2: Arms long.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it's it's one of those things. It's like, is he going to be good? Yes. Is he going to be Paul George good? I wouldn't put money on anything, you know, anything close to that. So.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Uh, so we look at their their, their lineup. Obviously, they're going to be be able to try it out. Uh, Kawhi and, and Paul George. You'll see Montrez Harrell as well. They just signed Evic uh, Zubac uh, to a four year one twenty eight deal, and then as well, they got you know pretty decent depth in in the back end. Um, what, what do you think ultimately this starting lineup's going to shape out to be?
0: I think you're going to have Pat Bev at the one, uh, Paul George two, Kawhi three, Harkless four, and Zubac five. That's a big guys, ass lineup. Flex, you can flex uh, Harkless out of the starting lineup, uh, but that just think about the defense one through four there. Like Mo Harkless, it, it, for people who did not watch Portland last year, basically he was guarding the opposing uh, one wing on the other team. So. He knows the responsibility. He's long. He's he's good. He's athletic. Like yes, he will never have amazing jaw-dropping offensive numbers, but he is an excellent role player wing, uh, good defender. Um, if you don't want to do that lineup, you can go smaller and shift him out of that lineup and put in another guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, who that would be specifically? If you want to go with Shamit, adds shooting from the outside. Sure, uh, Luil doesn't start. That's just his jam. So maybe like a Jerome Robinson, someone we're watching summer league. I don't. Know, I, I'm not you, really a huge fan of him. Yeah. What have you seen from him on this team yet? Uh, he's had a couple good passes. Uh, decent court vision. Uh, shooting wise, he's still not there. So I, I don't think he's right to be in the starting lineup that's going to be competing for, uh, probably a, an NBA finals in and in a playoff. Yeah. yeah. So my, my be... Oh, go ahead. I think he's coming off the bench. Um, I think they go. I think they go long. I don't know. Maybe that. Maybe Shamit does stay in the starting lineup, though. That that probably gives them the best opportunity mix of shooting and defense.
2: Well, that's my that's my thought. Uh, that I think that they go with Shamit because looking at this lineup, Pat Bev obviously going to bring a ton of defense. Can bring up the ball, but I don't, he's not really a facilitator. But I don't think you need that uh, necessarily in this lineup. Shamit, like you said, is going to probably set up beyond the arc and shoot from from the outside. Uh, and, and improved his defense as well while he was on the Clippers. Um, yeah. And then probably Kawhi at the three, Paul George at the four. You could flip that either way you want. I mean, they're both going to be able to defend either positions. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't really know who's better, so I don't know who's going to. Like, if they play Le- LeBron James, who's guarding who? Uh,
0: you putting Kawhi and LeBron? Like it's just, you know, whatever possession. That's a toss up, honestly. Yeah. I know, like, because earlier in their careers, like, Kawhi was the better defender. At this point in their careers, Paul George probably is the better defender.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean.
0: Be, I, I'd put Paul George on him.
2: It'd be yeah. interesting either uh, Kawhi or, or Paul George at the four, but I don't think it matters in the end. And then uh, going, obviously, with. Uh, uh, did you say Zubak or Harrell at the
0: yeah, f- Zubak five? Zubak at five. Because Harrell comes off the bench. He'll play the fucking end of the game for them as well. Zubak's got a good offensive touch, and I think he gives them a little bit better spacing. Harrell just bangs down low, which is awesome, and he's an energy guy. I just love their second unit and I think that's what makes them dynamic. Like we talk about the Lakers and having Anthony Davis, now Boogie, and A and uh LeBron James. Like those three together are incredible, but they have no depth. And that's where like you end up with the best of both worlds on the Clippers because you have that incredible defensive starting unit, uh, with two superstars, a great defender uh of five who can score for you. But you also have the sixth man of the year and guess what? One of the runner ups to the sixth man of the year on your bench. I mean you're just you're never gonna have downtime on that Clippers team. I, I think that's what makes them special. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I think the 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 thing that really sells me on this team is that second unit, like you were saying, and we look at the team that just won the NBA title in the Toronto Raptors, and that's what really pushed them over the edge was having that second unit and That's what hurt the Warriors. I mean, the Warriors were built on having the ability of going to Andre Godala and Sean Livingston off the bench, and it kind of hurt them this year not having that depth, you know? So I think now that's going to be a really positive upside to them is being able to rotate players and especially veterans off that bench too, uh, along with some of these young guys like Wilson Chandler uh, onto the, onto this onto the floor and being able to take possessions away and, and give rest to Kawhi and Paul George, um, at least on the floor. How do you think they're going to look? Cause I was a little concerned about Kawhi and Paul George being on the same team. I know Paul George has at least upped his uh, shooting from the outside and, and, and they're both very good shooters from the outside, but that's not really their games. When I, when I think of them, I think of them more of attacking in the mid range. Um, do you think that's going to be a problem that they might just, you know, trade off pretty much iso possessions of attacking and shooting in the, in the mid range? Or do you think we're going to see a more spaced out play? Cause Paul George did shoot around like 10 threes this year, but before he was, you know, came over, he was shooting like, you know, six to, to, to five a night.
0: Yeah. I think they'll be fine on spacing. Um, Pat Beverly and uh, Shamit both give them great space at the guard. So I expect Doc to kind of roll out and it's, this is weird because last year they were all in basically three guards for the second half of the season in their mm-hmm. starting lineup. Um, but because they have such big bodies out there, I think they're going to take advantage of that. I do expect Paul George, probably not 10 threes a game again, but you know, somewhere in that seven to seven, to eight range, they're going to be able to space it out. Offensive set wise, I do expect some ISO though. Like, I think that they're going to fall into that very, very heavily late in games. And yeah, good thing necessarily, I don't know with this team yet, because honestly the late in games you're gonna see some fun lineups where like you're gonna see Lou Will, Pep Bev, Shamit, you know, Kawhi, and then like Zubac out there, Harrell. Like you're gonna see just a wide variety of these, uh, units out there, so it's, it's kinda of like just a jumble at this point trying to figure out what they're going to do. I think Doc's just got so many options available to him. That you know, if you need a lineup to play big and defensive, you've got that. If you need some group that you're like, hey, we're gonna bang the boards. We're gonna play you know Harrell and Zubach together, and just absolutely dominate them down low. Like you, you have that option. So I'm not sure necessarily ball movement is probably not gonna be amazing considering Pat Beverly really, like you said, he's not like uh, an amazing facilitator. He's a solid uh, point guard. He gets the ball going assist-wise, he's never killed it, but that's never been asked of him, you know, to be, like, getting, you know, nine assists a game or anything crazy, like Rubio levels, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think the the question I want to ask, and what we'll end on is, what's their weakness?
0: Uh, load management? <laughs> I mean, honestly, if there's anything, it's like, you know, make sure Kawhi's leg is good, make sure Paul George uh, is, is healthy. Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing, is just, Those two guys, I think, each are going to be out there for about 60 to 65 games this year. I don't expect them to play much more than that uh, during the regular season. And I think with this roster built the way it is today, they're going to be fine. I don't know if they're going to be the number one seed going into the playoffs, but they are going to be the best team.
2: Yeah, and when we assume when Paul George got hurt, it was near, I think it was March, and in those last 18 games, he was shooting like 40% from the field, 34% from three, uh, and scoring about 26 a night. But he was also you know averaging like two about three turnovers a game so he really took a swing and that that was one thing too where he needed to play so much because they were needing to push and, and make sure they make the playoffs that would be the biggest concern is balancing their loads like you were saying don't laugh um, balancing their 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 loads and, and making sure that they, they didn't get overworked and being able to still be a competitive team out there that's the one thing that's crazy about this is that they gave up two of their three best scorers last year, Tobias Harrison, Danilo Gallinari, and became the best team in the NBA. But being able to balance that and making sure that you're not really suffering on the court when one of them or both of them are off. And I think that's going to be the make the biggest thing that we make sure of. But again, we love the, the, the fact that their bench can be so competitive out there. So it will definitely be interesting to see.
0: Yep, absolutely. I mean, the, the flexibility there is perfect for this team moving forward because you don't need to have both those guys out there every given night. You know, you can see nights where one rests, the other you know doesn't. You just trade off, and I'm telling you, it's going to be an awesome season for the Clippers.
2: Let us know what you think of the Clippers or not reactions, but their transactions down in the comments below. We're going to be really intrigued to see what you guys think. Um, I think we'll probably hear some hot takes, Dave, hearing some Laker fans being like they're the best team in the NBA. Uh, I think that right now you have to look at that roster, you have to look at that front office, you have to look at the coach. And while you might not have the two better stars, I would still take LeBron and AD over Paul George and Kawhi. Um, while you might not have the better stars, they do have the better team. And when it comes to the playoffs in those seven games, making sure that everyone can contribute is going to be more important than those two guys. So let us know what you think down and below. Down below, do you think that the Clippers are the best team in the NBA? But let's move into the next topic, and that is the other side of the trade. We talked about one team becoming the best team in the NBA, and now we have a team that's kind of hitting the end of their run. The Oklahoma City Thunder became the Thunder in 2008-2009, and they were the worst team in the NBA that year, but then they jumped all the way up to a team that made the playoffs and won 50 games in uh, 2009 and 2010, made the finals in uh, 2011, then 2013-2012, they had 60 wins, 59 wins, then took a step back uh, due to injuries with, uh, I think it was KD that year, right? Yeah, KD got injured, uh, they missed the playoffs 2014-2015, then was the year in 2015-2016 where they won 55 games and blew a 3-1 lead and Kevin Durant left, then 2016-2017 it was kind of picking up the pieces of KD leaving, uh, I think Russ won the MVP that year, right?
0: That was triple-double year one.
2: Yep, and that was triple-double year one. Then the next year they get Paul George and it was huge and it was brilliant and The Thunder is going to be great forever. And then there was the will he go to L.A. or not? And then he's like, no, I'm staying at an Oklahoma City Thunder Club or a Thunder Club or whatever. And then he leaves. Um, And we look at this and this was a pretty good ride for a team uh, that, you know, over 10 years, they made their home in Oklahoma City. And now I feel like this is over, although they still have Russell Westbrook. Do you feel the same way?
0: Yeah, no, this is definitely the end of the old Oklahoma City Thunder. Like, the Gen 1 Thunder is done at this point because Russ is on, you know, basically trade rumors for everywhere at this point. Um, And you just look at the churn of the roster at this point, and it's massive. You know, the team that had drafted so well to start out, you know, the end, like you had said, to start out with Kevin Durant on the Supersonics and then Westbrook Harden uh Serge Ibaka added to that group and then, you know, the move they made to get Stephen Adams in there, uh, Cantor even for a while, like they had done a good job at steady staying competitive in that Western Conference playoff picture, but it just everything just kept coming up short for them. And yeah, this is finally like, all right, look, let's just collect assets, let's just bring in as much young athletic talent as we can and reset the board.
2: Yeah, Russ this year is gonna make thirty eight point five mil then he'll make 41.3, then he'll make 44.2, and then he has a player option for $47 million. And he is a player that, you know, looking at him, I mean, you look at the stats only, and he's averaged a triple-double in the past three years. And I think he's the perfect person that, sometimes I don't agree with our patron, John. Uh, Shout-out to patreon.com slash Podcast, and shout-out to John as well. But he does say this thing, and while I don't like it, I think he's right in some stances and i think this is russell westbrook will be the poster child of it and it's Mm -hmm. stat sheets don't tell you the full story of what is happening and what's true and if you looked at his past three years you'd be like wow this guy averaged a triple double over you know pretty much 70 plus games for three years and you'd think he's one of the best players in the league but due to his play style due to his shooting due to his inefficiency i said this in the Discord. And I said this to you know the people who were reaching out saying, Where, where's Russell Westbrook going to go? I said I would not trade for him if I was any other team.
0: That's That seems cold. That seems really cold. But, but am I wrong? I, I, I want to say you are. I want to say you are. I don't know how much I believe that, though, because I think there's only a few teams that would make sense for them to go after Russell Westbrook because... His play style is so ball-dominant, and he just needs to work on a couple of things to really round out his game again because he's gotten, you know, ever since Katie left, basically, he took it upon himself to will games through and to, you know, shoulder load, play hero ball, and his shot selection was awful. He was the worst volume three-point shooter in NBA history last year. I mean, it was it was atrocious, and mm-hmm. you could watch the frustration of other players at times. Everybody loves, everybody says publicly they love playing with him, and he's a great teammate. But when you look at the results of, you know, Paul George being like, "Yeah, I'd rather be with Kawhi over there," Kevin Durant, "Yeah, I, sounds great, buddy. I'm gonna go play over there," and just one after the other, it's like, okay, we're definitely not going to get the whole story ever publicly right now, but it's very clear from the actions that are being taken that while Russell Westbrook's an amazing athlete and a great NBA player, he needs to change his play style in order to be more competitive and in order to get guys around him who can help them win because that's just, he can stuff stat sheets, but he's not going to be able to win a championship with his style of play. And with his contract and his current age, that puts him into a whole different category.
2: Well, and I think there is a category. There is an extreme, there's, there's a two-player category that right now in the NBA he fits in and it's overpaid near 30 or 30 plus year old point guards. He is in the same category as John Wall and himself. John Wall yep. has 4 years 171 million left, 38 million like Russ does this year, then 41.2, then 44.3 and then 47.3 uh in 2022-2023 he'll become a free agent just like Russell Westbrook. Russ on 38.5, 41.3, 44.2 and 47.0 and they're both You know, ball-dominant guys who can pass with the best of them, who aren't plus defenders, who aren't great defenders, and who aren't the best three-point shooters. So the question that I would ask you, and I think I I have an answer, I think it's pretty clear who I'd rather have since the contracts are so similar, but which point guard is more appealing? Because I feel like if you're trading for Russell Westbrook and John Wall, the contracts are the same, so there's nothing really too much that you should be giving up more than that. Well, and that point, but... What I'm saying is, you know, there there isn't that decision. Like you're not taking one that's cheaper. That's what I'm saying. Right. Um, so, yeah. who would you rather have, John Wall or Russell Westbrook?
0: If John Wall is healthy, I would take John Wall in a heartbeat. Really? Like, yeah. Because I would, I would heart- take Russ. All right. Why, why would you take Russ over John?
2: I think that his his and and it could be something that I I think yeah, I I think. If I need a bucket, I would trust Russell Westbrook more than John Wall. And I know that we're talking about the most, you know, the worst three point shooter or whatever in, in history, most vol- worst three point volume shooter yeah. in history. But I feel going to the bucket, Russ will hold up more. And that's one big thing, too, is Russ is pretty much a workhorse. Uh, he had one injury plague season in, in 2013, 20, uh, thir- 2013, 2014. Uh, but ever, you know, outside of that, he's played 82, 82, 82, 66, which was the short league shortened year. 82, 67, 80, 81, 80, I and mean then 73. Uh, and he plays nearly 36 plus minutes a, a game. I would take Russ because I think he's going to hold up more. And while he does have those deficiencies shooting from the outside, I think that him going to the bucket and dishing out is more effective just due to his body size and the way he holds up. Now, he is older, and that could, you know, the wheels could come off on that at any point. But mm-hmm. I think if I had to pick him, I'd I'd probably go Russ, and I think he's probably. If he's locked in, he's going to bring more defense to me, which I I'll I'll go with Russ.
0: See, I I, the defense toss up for me. uh, The consistency of being able to be available, yeah, that's why that's why I added a little little asterisk up front with. If he was healthy, John Wall, hundred percent. I see John Wall is just he fits he fits the play style of an offense much better to me. He's not, you know, that necessary like. Stamp on it. That's a John Wall offense, the same way that Russell Westbrook has turned every OKC offense into. Well, this is his style of offense when he's on the court, mm-hmm. and you're going to run it through him. Like John Wall gets his numbers in the in the motion of the game. It doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like he's hunting for you know assists or, or rebounds or anything like that. And I will admit that like will to win is one of those things where you know you can't put a a, a character, or you can't put a stat on there, but. You know, watching the playoffs the last couple of years and watching him literally just, like, limp off the court because he left it all out there is, like, it's storytelling. It It is drama and action, and, like, I get it. Brody wants to win, too, but there's just a different level I've seen out of John Wall. Is it frustrating as hell that he got double injured this year? Yeah, yeah. Uh But would I still rather have him out there? 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. If I can get a healthy John Wall guarantee, I will, I will ride out the rest of that contract with John Wall. Um and here's the crazy thing like I think Russell Westbrook can change his game to the point where he will be better like to the point where he's not taking awful three point attempts at an insane volume it's just one of those things where it's a mentality thing for him which is easier to fix I think than you know broken a broken shot or a broken piece of his game it's just like it's a mental thing you have to get over and whether it's trusting teammates whether it's knowing that you don't have to force you know victories on your own team and be like I have to make this play happen for my team, or else this. Yeah, like I feel like he puts himself in those situations a lot and sets himself up for failure. Well, so, and
2: I wonder if he's he if, it, be- if he was put into that just due to you know the, the the circumstance of KD leaving and him feeling like that's his franchise.
0: Yeah, no, I, I entirely think that fed into it. Um, even before KD left, there was a little bit of those questions around, like, how, how come KD's not taking all all the shots, like. How come their shot volume is split this way? Where are the numbers at? Because Kevin Durant's clearly the better scorer, and yet Brody seems to think he's the one on this offense. You know, um, I, I think that I think Russell Westbrook can be the better player. I think John Wall, when healthy, is the better player today.
2: Yeah, I I, I asked the question because I was gonna say John Wall, but then you switched it, and I, I I thought about it more because I was thinking you know John Wall is more of a chameleon. He could fit into any offense. But yeah. if I'm saying strictly on a talent level, I would take Russell Westbrook. And, and yeah. I, I'm going to stick with my Russ idea. But I, I think it is close, and that's why I do ask it. And if, if the contracts were much different, I, if like John Wall was cheaper, I would take John Wall. But I think since the contracts are the same, I'll take the guy that is more talented than Russell Westbrook. And I, and I do still think that he's going to hold up more. And I do think that him going to the basket is more efficient than John Wall uh, in general. But John Wall probably fits more of today's game uh, than Russell Westbrook. Let's go to the suitors and possible teams that could trade for Russell Westbrook. Again, I still stand by that I would not trade for him. I would not be a, a team that would go after him. I'm not a person that would go after John Wall either, so I'm not flipping fences here. Um, I, I don't and think I any team should trade for either.
0: Can about them? Because you did mention both these guys are in a category because they're both Supermaxes. Yeah. Can we just admit that Supermax was uh, a failed mistake? I think so. Part of the NBA, because I think that the, the lack of any of them turn out to be a good deal for anyone. Like, literally, it's it's a lose-lose kind of a contract, I feel like. It forces the player, you know, the player's forced to basically say, all right, well, I'm taking up, like, 40% of my team's salary this year, 50% of my team's salary, and it's just like, all right, well, that handicaps what they can do around me. So if my team's not ready to compete by the time that I'm eligible for this contract, uh, we're stuck with me, and we can't add the right pieces around me to win. And from the team hands, yeah, you're just you're just handicapped, but you feel forced to do it because otherwise they're like, well, those, why would they stay here when they can go play somewhere else? And yeah. it turns out that they do that anyway.
2: Well, and the official deals haven't come out, but it, you know, you look at Kemba Walker. I mean, Kemba Walker, I think from what what we've we've learned, I think it's a signing trade, for sending Terry Rozier to the Hornets and Kemba Walker to the the Celtics, and I think he Mm -hmm. is signing a Supermax. So guys are just taking the Supermaxes and be like, fucking trade me. Like, get me the fuck out of here. Um, So it's just getting to that point of getting a Supermax, getting more money, and then still being like, I'm not playing for you. So I I find it, yeah, I think it is a failed idea, and I don't know what to do. um, But that's a different conversation for a different time. Mm -hmm. Who are the suitors for Russell Westbrook in your mind, if any?
0: I I've been tossing out this one on Discord, and it hasn't been getting a ton of love, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Do I it. think that the Timberwolves and Wiggins, like you take <sighs> you take two experiments and you just swap them. Um, there's gonna have to be picks involved from the Timberwolves side to move Wiggins down, but like it works out great because the Timberwolves get a legitimate stud at point guard, and I know that has been an area where like they moved on from Rubio because like oh his spacing's awful, hurts our offense. And they went whole through the Timber Bulls era. Uh Jeff Teague did not play – uh Jeff Teague did not run their offense well uh, and really work with Cat uh, as effectively as they would have hoped. Did not feed him as much, did not get him as involved as he could have been. So I think that if you put Russell Westbrook on that team, you greatly improve their chances of going to the playoffs year one, like right off the bat. It's just that frustration of, like, you have one of the most efficient big men in NBA history in Carl Anthony Towns. And you can't seem to make it work. You've got a couple of young pieces in, like a Kogi, Roko, some good role players. But if you add in uh, Russell Westbrook as that starting point guard, like that team's getting a playoff spot in the in the West this year for sure.
2: Yeah, and I, I think the one problem I have with that, and I, I don't think it's a horrible idea, um, at least on both sides, and especially because the Thunder got Shea Gildris, you're just going to give more playing time to him and give him more opportunities to play at point guard. Um, mm-hmm. which makes sense for the Thunder, and then you're just you're getting win a wing player. Games. What's that?
0: Get better draft picks,
2: too. Yeah, and you're getting a wing player, too, in, in Wiggins that you already have another wing player, uh, but you have so many projects that it will help. But the thing is is that, and, and John asked the question earlier in our Discord, being like, why do all we trash Wiggins so much? And I think it, the biggest reason is just his game is a mid-range game, which is not modern for today's NBA, and he's not even good at it. Like, from 10 to 16 feet, he shoots 12%. Like, that's not good. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. He shoots He shoots 34% from 10 yeah, to 16 I like, that range. That can't be true. <laughs> Percentage of field goal attempts. He, he takes 12% of his field goal attempts from that area. I'm sorry. He shoots 34%, which is still bad. Um, yeah. But then he, he shoots you know sixty two percent from from uh, zero to three right around the bucket which is which is fine um but that's still lower than his career average his career average is sixty five percent so he was down last year he's a guy that's getting older and you know it seems like he's getting worse even from three to ten feet he went from 459 uh, percent uh, in 2017 twenty eighteen to thirty four point one like he's a guy that seems to be progressively getting worse as he gets older and he's on this bad contract that where the expectations for a contract like that are to be one of the better players on your team. And he's consistently just not, and he's consistently hurting them whenever he touches the ball. And he's supposed to be this offensive guy who is able to dominate left and right. And he's not able to do that. And he's able, he's not, he's not adding positive uh, defense to your team. So if you're going to a team that has really built up a lot of great defensive players, then maybe it makes sense to me. But I, I still in the end would not, would not do that if I'm the thunder, just because you will be getting draft picks, which is good. Um, But I, I don't know Athletic if I want Wiggins. wing and draft
0: picks. I mean, like, where, where are you steering wrong as a Thunder there? Like
2: this, this is his, a team
0: looking to compete. He's his
2: age. He's 24. Off, he's 24. He's 24, and not 21, like, you know, Diallo and Terrence Ferguson. I think Ter- Terrence Ferguson was even 19. God.
1: Um,
0: no, he's got to be 20 by now. Or turning 20 this year, at least. Um, but, yeah, no, I... I would do it purely because of the value back. Like, and let's be fair here. I do it for the memes too because he's been amazing. By he, Andrew Wiggins has been amazing playing in, in and against OKC. So I figure this is just like if he's going to be engaged all the time, that's how you do it. You trick him by moving him to your city.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. I think though. Like, would it make the Timberwolves better? Because yes, it it gives you a guy to run the offense. But do you think the problems oh would God, still persist? If well, I, I, yes, I think you said, Oh my God, yes, um, under your breath. But like, does it make them like? Where does it put them in the West then? If they get them, like, do they make the playoffs? I don't know if yeah, they do. I,
0: I think it puts them in that five through eight chase. Um, really? Look, the, yes, the West is so crazy this year, though. All
2: right. Well, let, let's let's like, split this up because I think this is the only team that could trade for them. Uh, thinking about it, because I don't think the Knicks would or should. Um, I think they'd be making a huge mistake. Same with the Chicago Bulls. You guys are in rebuild mode. Russell Westbrook is not going to... They might make, help you make the playoffs. He's not winning you a championship.
0: Yeah, so, I saw those rumors and throw
2: that I out. literally vomited. I also don't know how Miami's going to make it work with the salary cap. That's such a big contract. I don't know if it's physically, uh, financially possible for they them to make have, it work.
0: They do have the contracts to make it work right now with uh, Dragic and... Uh, I forget the other piece, but yeah. But again, it's like, why would you do that to yourself?
2: You're taking two of the guys that apparently no one wants to play with in Russell Westbrook and Jimmy Butler, who literally fought his way out of everywhere because uh, he keeps making enemies places. I mean, I thought he was fine in, in Philadelphia, but it seems like he didn't want to stay there for God knows what reason. I mean, this guy is so volatile, I don't know what he's going to uh, make up his mind on when it comes to Jimmy Butler. Uh, so you're putting the two guys in Russell Westbrook who no one wants to play with and Jimmy Va- Butler, who might change his mind and mood and want to leave and go to Italy. Um like, I don't know what the hell. I think it's a horrible horrible pair there. So, I think they're the only team that would make sense for for him to go to. Let's just role play. They pick up uh, uh, Russ. Minnesota does. We're saying the Lakers are better than them, right?
0: Yeah, the Lakers are better than them. Okay, yep. Clippers are better than them. Yep. Rockets? Wait, which team are we saying he's on? Just to confirm here. Minnesota. Answer, no. Okay, it yeah, yeah. was a Minnesota deal. Okay. Um... The Rockets should be better than them. Warriors. Depends when Clay comes back. Uh yeah, entirely honest. They should be better than them though. Nuggets. Yep. Trailblazers. It's this awesome. team just made the they I'm just, sleeping on the Third
2: team in the Western Conference. Made it to the Western Conference finals. Got better.
0: I did they get better though?
2: Who did they lose?
0: Uh, clearly it was Cantor, and Nurkic will still be out for a bit to start the year. Yeah, run. but they got Whiteside. They did get Whiteside. And I think the that... who can't get it up unless he's playing Joel Embiid. Hey, he Is gets... that going to continue? I don't know. Dude's still blocking around three
2: blocks a game. So. I, I think right. they got... Maybe they, maybe they didn't get better, but they, they didn't get worse. Or significantly worse. worse.
0: But the rest of the West got better, maybe. The Jazz? That's, that's the whole thing. It's are the jazz, the jazz better than... Yeah, no, the Jazz are like my number three team in the West.
2: Okay, so then you have San Antonio.
0: Yep, who got better.
2: Do you think that they're better than the Timberwolves with Russ?
0: I think that's a close matchup because okay. Russ is so crazy.
2: That is then the fight for the eighth seed. Yep, You have I, the pe- I agree. I think you throw eight the eight Pelicans, eight. Mavericks, and Kings in there.
0: I think the Pelicans would have to really overperform. Mavericks, I think, are still... You're pushing the timeline on Luka and KP. Kings I love, uh, this offseason made absolutely just so many question marks appear over my head when it came to their dealings and filling out their depths. But, you know, they added a bunch of veterans. I don't know about that deal. I think this year, out, out the gates with the rosters as is, if you put, you know, a straight swap for Wiggins plus takes for Westbrook, I think that Thunder team, or I think that, uh, Timberwolves team, could be an eighth seed, could be a seventh seed. Yeah, I think they'd be fighting for one of those two seats.
2: I I think that they could be fighting for an eighth seed. I don't think they're going to be pushing seven. And and I think... I think
0: the difference between like four and seven is going to be like one game. Like I think that's I think the West is going to be that jam packed scene again like two years ago, where we had <laughs> the Trailblazers at three. And like two games later, it was like teams fighting
2: tied for the eighth seed. Well, uh, Dave, the number one seed, the Warriors had 57 wins and the Clippers had 48. They were only nine games back of the eighth seed. So, I mean, it was so jam-packed. And you look at uh, two through uh, uh, eight and it was six games separating those teams. Uh, So, I mean, it was was jam-packed this year, too. I, I just think that while I love Cat so much and getting him a facilitator would be huge, I just think that Russ would not change his ideals and he would stay the same. And that, that's why I don't think any team should trade for him. I don't think he makes any team significantly better enough where it would put them over an edge or put them into the edge of the teams like the Clippers, the Lakers, the Warriors, the 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 Rockets, uh, the Bucks, the Sixers, uh, Pacers, Celtics, kind of. Um, I don't think they'd be putting them into that, like, you know, championship contender level. Um, I think obviously there's different levels to even that level as well, but. I don't know if that makes them a championship contender. I don't think if any team adds them, it would make them that. Now maybe one of those teams, if the Lakers were able to add them, uh, that would be you know something. But I don't think they would. I don't think that'd be a wise way to spend their personnel.
0: What what if an off the radar team swings for them like a Pistons, and they're like, "We'll give you Reggie back Ew. and something, and we'll take Russell Westbrook." So you can have Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond.
2: Uh, I hate it and I don't I hate it just because like Drummond and Westbrook are just ugh. But then again like you get a Facilitator for Blake and Drummond and We've seen the damage that Blake's been able to do With a point guard and a guy that can move the ball Exactly So it would make them better And probably significantly better Yikes I don't know if it makes it, puts them into that Fringe though you know
0: Yeah, no, and that's the thing is like I don't I don't know if it puts them into a championship team in the Eastern Conference Finals. Perhaps the only other team who has like the ammo is like the Magic. I'm I'm looking at them; they're another team where I don't I don't agree with the timeline because I think that they've got a good young group, and I would wait it out for them. But they do have a lot of assets, and they've always wanted a point guard, and Markel Fultz is forever an enigma. So like we're we're back to Instagram videos of his jump shot today. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> I did. But we're back to doing that. Yeah, and it was
2: not even like a full video.
0: No, it was like a clip back and forth, and I was like, oh my god, it was too much.
2: Um, yeah, I think I think the Magic would be wasting their ammo though. I think you got to stay young, and the fact that they signed Vucevic to the deal that they did, I thought was a mistake. Even though he performed so well for you, that's a thing that you got to cut him loose. I feel like. Um and in the end, I think that was a bad decision to let him go. You have so many good young guys, and I think they should be seeing the floor rather than bogging yourself down with a four-year max like him. But that's just me personally. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so may, maybe the really only other out. team would be, and, and, and this is a little bit of a stretch, the only other team I would think of would be Dallas.
0: Yeah, that would be a weird one. Well,
2: because I think you give Luca the ability to play off ball more. You give the ability for Luca to take a break. And we saw that Luca can be very dangerous shooting from the outside. You'll free up more shots from the outside for him, and you'll free up shots for for KP. And I think that a Russ KP pick and roll would be pretty dangerous. Uh, a Luca and and and, and uh, Russell Westbrook uh, front court would be pretty pretty imp- impressive too from an offensive standpoint. Uh, I, I think that Luka's cr- shot creation would kind of negate in some ways the kind of black hole of a Russell Westbrook offense. I don't know if they would gel together, which would be the biggest problem, though.
0: I mean, it's just, it would be a little concerning because they moved on from Dennis Smith Jr. and basically Russell Westbrook is in the same vein that Dennis yeah, Smith
2: Yeah, but years. he's good.
0: I, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying, like, it's the same vein of athletic point guard, uh, able to get triple doubles for you, good ball handler, good rebounder, uh, but when it comes to offensive skill set, they're they're built very similarly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's they moved away from that for a reason. And my concern is they want the usage of their you know quote unquote point guard, not Luca. They want to have a specific skill set for them, and they already know like ideally where the touches are going to be with KP and Luca on that team. I mean, are they going to shy away from a third star if they got a good deal? No. Mm-hmm. But do I think that he is? Do I think Brody and Luka are an ideal one-two fit? Absolutely not.
2: All right. Dave, it's the name of the segment, and this is how we're going to end it. Will Russell Westbrook be traded?
0: Nah. <laughs> Shit, I feel like he's going to get traded. I'm just going to be pissed. So I'm going to say yes. I don't know where, though, but it's not going to make sense to me.
2: I, I think he will get traded because I've been wrong consistently. No one saw Paul George being traded. So. Right? I think Russell Westbrook will be traded, but where? I don't know where. And Well, I, the only thing I do know is that there are going to be some sad fucking saps. I think it would be a bad move to, to move them. Um, I, I, I don't know. But let us know your thoughts of the Denver Nuggets down in the comments. And just to give a the little Denver bit Nuggets. of Oh, fuck. The Oklahoma City Thunder and, and Russell Westbrook down in the comments below. Um, I was thinking of a possible trade trade team for the, for Russell Westbrook. Uh, that'd be a gross fit. Uh, let us know, though, down in the comments uh, below where you think Russell will go and just a precursor to if you're listening to the full podcast or uh, you know just uh, paying attention to the full one on YouTube. Uh, there's going to be a weird cut where Dave's going to leave us for a segment. Jake's going to come on, and we're going to talk about the Sixers pre-Kawhi. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit weird. You're still going to enjoy it. It's a good segment, but watch that. And then after that, we're going to come back and talk about the Raptors. But let's move into the next topic, and that's going to be the Philadelphia 76ers. And obviously, if that's the topic, you know who's joining us. Check out patreon.com slash podcast, and you could be like our next guest, and that is, of course, Jake. Jake, how are you feeling after the first week of NBA free agency?
1: Uh could have gone better, but it could have gone a lot, lot worse, so... I'll be all right.
2: Yeah. When you're here just a week ago, it was all about Jimmy Butler. If we offer him five he will be staying. And you were kind of okay. If Tobias Harris left and you got the flip side of that, pretty much. Apparently there was reports saying that you guys offered the full max to Jimmy Butler. He ends up wanting out and going to Miami. You guys offer Tobias Harris pr- pretty much a near max five years, 180 for Man. him, but you get a big fish in Al Horford. You lose T.J. McConnell and your your you know your heart as well. You lose Boban, Mar- uh, Boban Mar- Marjanovic. Jesus Christ! Uh, you sign Mike Scott. You get Kyle Quinn. You get uh, James Ennis, and you get Raul Nito, uh, former Jazz point guard. So let's start with the departures first. Which one hurts you more, Jimmy Butler kind of turning his back, or the departure of T.J. McConnell?
1: See. Deep down in my heart, TJ hurts a lot worse, but uh Jimmy obviously is the logical sense he hurts the most is in the fourth quarter it's gonna be really interesting. We'll get into all the pieces later, but it it's gonna be very interesting to see how late in games they're gonna shape their offense and even talking about who is the biggest loss, you could point to Jimmy Bowler for late in games, but you could also talk about JJ Reddick, who they lost, and he might even be the bigger not the biggest uh player they're gonna miss next year simply because of their whole entire offense basically revolved around him and whether that was a good thing or a bad thing he helped and bead be really effective and his spacing of the floor gave our bigs a lot uh easier of a time getting open looks and that's 100% going to be missed and Brett Brown's going to have to rework his offense because they really don't have any knockdown sharpshooters unless they would go and land a Kyle Korver
2: yeah I totally forgot that JJ Redick is now a Pelican as well um so looking at that position at least now because that is pretty much both your shooting guards gone What is the effect of that? You guys get Josh Richardson in the trade with Miami. You think that he's going to step in, but losing Jimmy, who played both the two and the three, and then obviously JJ, who you mentioned, played a a key part of that offense uh, for the past couple of years, uh, signing that big contract, you know, front loaded um, in pretty much the the first year of the post process, kind of, and then going into when you guys are hitting your uh, your, your competitive window. Um, How is that going to affect the position depth there? and, And who are you looking to step up?
1: Yeah, uh, Josh first is obviously going to have to take a step up, and I think this is going to uh, – how the offense is going to revolve, I think it's obviously going to take a step back losing J.J. Redick and Jimmy Butler, but Ben's going to have to take on a bigger role in the scoring department. And, I mean, averaging 16 and 18 points per game is great, but that's that doesn't really have to change the shot attempts. We've talked about this over and over and over again. He has to start taking threes. He has to start taking mid-range shots, and that's going to ring true even more now that J.J. Redick's gone. And I'm not too worried about Jimmy Butler or the spacing – Being gone, because I think Josh Ferguson can give you similar spacing on the floor. Obviously, he's not going to give you the offensive talent that Jimmy is, but he's going to be able to still score the ball and be effective. And he was the number one option on Miami last year, which obviously he's not a number one option. He's not a number two option. And he's probably going to be the number four, number five option on the Sixers. So he is going to be key just being effective. Shooting uh, Al Horford, who we talked about earlier, is going to be a huge addition to the team because he also provides spacing. And he's going to have to help Embiid get easier looks, which I'm really interested to see how – Brett Brown shapes this entire offense because he could go so many different ways with it. you you pretty much know what you're, what you're going to get out of Joel Embiid effective, one of the best bigs in the league. It all falls again, like I say, on Ben Simmons. If he can develop even somewhat of a jump shot, this offense can still be effective. But if he's going to be what he was last year and not being able to shoot threes or not wanting to shoot threes. It's still not being effective. The team could, you could see the offensive struggles really early on in the season. But defensively, this team's going to be, this team's going to be scared defensively.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is losing JJ, you might lose some of the spacing. But if you're talking just strictly Richardson compared to Butler, he's going to provide more spacing. You look at Richardson over the past two years, taking about 12.4 shots per game. 5.2 of those are three attempts, and looking at Jimmy, Jimmy was taking near 14.7. Granted, some of that was in Minnesota, uh, but those were only he was only taking about 3.2 uh, threes a game. Uh, so you're going to get more threes, and he actually took a step down in shooting threes uh, when he went from my Minnesota to Philly. Uh, he was taking 4.5 in Minnesota. In the first 10 games that he played, obviously it's a small sample size. Uh, But then when he came over to Philly, he was only taking about 2.7, which was lower than his 2017-2018. So at least looking at that part of the trade of Josh Richardson coming to Philly and Jimmy Butler going out, you guys are going to be adding more spacing there. But let's talk now about another addition that's going to be big for you guys. And and you talked about him a little bit, Al Horford. Uh, The guy that was pretty much the only person that could defend Joel Embiid consistently throughout the past couple years here. Uh, Embiid's an absolute monster, but Horford seemed to be his kryptonite. You guys are able to bring him onto the team. Let's talk about that starting lineup. You got Ben Simmons at the point. You got Josh Richardson, at the shooting guard. You have uh, Toby at the three. uh, You have Horford at the four and Embiid at the five. People are automatically going to think because you have, you know, Ben Simmons, who's 6'11", Toby, who's 6'8". You have Horford, who's 6'10". You have Joe, who's over seven feet tall. That there's not going to be enough spacing out there. Do you think that there's going to be enough spacing? Because Horford's shown some range, and shown some range. Tobis, uh, Tobias Tobias has obviously shown some range, and Josh Richardson we obviously talked about his outside shooting. Do you think there's going to be enough spacing out there?
1: Yeah, that's obviously going to be the main concern. Um, I can't give a definitive answer because I don't know exactly how who's going to, what roles everybody's going to take on. Because I have to see exactly. Like I said, I keep pointing to this because I, this is my biggest worry: is I don't know how Brett Brown's going to shape this offense. And I think you do have enough spacing. It's not what you want, which is why I think they have to go after a veteran like a Kyle Korver or something like that to bring off the bench to get that spacing. But talking about this starting lineup, I mean, you have Al Horford, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, all who can shoot well over. I think they're all career shooters 35% and above from three or at least Al Horford in the last couple of years. And Joel Embiid, he struggled from three last year. He wasn't that great, but at least he's taking the shots. So I think the spacing won't be as big of an issue because everybody besides Ben Simmons, as long as they're standing outside, you still have to guard them. Ben can obviously you can clog the paint against, and that's a whole different story. But when it comes to spacing with at least the starting lineup, I I think it won't be it won't be close to the best in the NBA. But they'll still they'll still be able to take the shots and they'll make them probably at above a thirty uh, percent range, which is good enough for right now. And with how good they're going to be defensively, I don't think you'll see too much of a hindrance on their on their record just because they don't have that absolutely J.J. Redick knockdown shooter.
2: Yeah, to add some of those numbers to uh, Horford's three-point percentage and, and three-point shooting, uh, he really didn't start taking him until the 2015-2016 season. And in those past four seasons, taking about uh, 3.2 attempts per game and shooting about 37.1, so well above the NBA league average. And especially you know at the four, people might be concerned about his speed there, but he's so solid just knowing where to mm-hmm. put his body in, 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 in positions to play defense. And if he's going up against you know LeBron, who's going, you know, playing the four for the Lakers or whatever, then he might be exposed a little bit. But even at that point, you do have Joel Embiid, who is that much of a freak. You have Ben Simmons, who's that much of a freak. You could probably get a little bit uh, you know, uh, tricky with, with with the lineups that you're throwing out there and the defensive looks that you're throwing out there. But at least at the four, offensively, Horford's definitely going to be an interesting piece, and uh, we're going to love to see what, what, what they're able to bring there. And uh, Corver, too, I, I think the biggest thing you have to ask is where does he want to go? And I think that there's a ton of interesting options for him. You look at Utah. This is a team that's been, you know, really adding on a ton this year. Conley was the big name that they've gotten. He's a former Jazz. He might look there. Uh, If if he wants to come help shooting, I know he was just recently traded from there. uh, But you never know how these guys feel. Maybe he really liked this opportunity there. Uh, And then obviously getting dealt, he has the opportunity to possibly go back. Uh, He was decent for them as well. Shot 38.4% from three on 5.4 attempts. So maybe that's an option. Uh, I think that's probably less likely. But the two high options in my mind are obviously the Sixers, uh, where he started his career. And then you look at LeBron. He was obviously LeBron's teammate Mm -hmm. uh, in Cleveland for three years. And those two are probably the, the lead candidates there. Uh, are, are you concerned about Kyle Korver possibly going somewhere else, or is it just if you get him, it's a it's a bonus?
1: I don't think he's a I I wouldn't say that he's an absolute like you have to get him or it's a bust or anything. I think, and I do want to add another team. I think the Bucks are another team that he could go to mm-hmm. just because Budenholzer's old coach in Atlanta and oh, that's a good point, That yeah. team chucks it from deep, mm-hmm. so it's it that that would be another fit. And if I mean I think it all depends what happens to the Lakers. If they get Kawhi why would Kyle Corver not go there? Like that would just be that would just be for me at least. I I think the Lakers would be the number one option. I think we're probably third. I think the Bucks would be number two and uh I I don't know. I, I can't say what's going on in his head but I think the Sixers he might have a tough time finding consistent rotation minutes if Tybul and Zaire actually can provide consistent uh production off of the bench and Corver might slowly get pushed out of the rotation, but in a Lakers situation I mean, they need bench players bad, if, if, especially if Kawhi signs there. They need to get four or five guys on minimum contracts that can at least contribute something during the regular season. So there he would have a bigger role to play than if he came to Philly. But who knows? Who knows? Maybe he wants to come back to Philly where it all started.
2: Yeah, and you, you bring up uh, Thibel, you bring up Zaire, and let's talk about this bench now. For this team, you have Kyle Quinn that's coming in. You have Mike Scott that's resigned with you guys. Uh, you have James Ennis returning. You have Raul Nado coming from uh, the Jazz. You mentioned the two guys, Thibault and Smith. Is that the weakness of this team? Is is the lack of experience from Zaire, who's practically a rookie? I know he got some minutes and some playing time last year uh, near the end after he recovered. You have Thibault, who is a rookie, and then obviously Ennis was up and down for you guys last year. Kyle Quinn. Could be decent, but he's nothing spectacular. Ronaldito wasn't really a great player in Utah. Is that the biggest weakness for this team? Is this bench?
1: Yeah, but the thing is, I don't think it's as weak as it was last year, which was the problem. Uh, even, I mean, we saw today the summer league game just finished when we were recording this. Shake, shake, Milton could even provide a couple minutes off the bench. He's mm-hmm. not going to be anything spectacular, but he struggled scoring this game. But I actually think that's his biggest strength of the fact that he can consistently score at a good rate. And he even showed that he can be somewhat of a primary ball handler. That's more of my worry and why the Neto, Neto signing is actually, I think, very important is they needed somebody off the bench who can give you 10, 15 minutes a game and could be a primary ball handler because they had Zaire and Shake and all the guys cannot do that. And that's – well, people want to probably make fun of it, but that's what T.J. McConnell brought you is that he might have made some dumb mistakes from here and there, but he could be a primary ball handler off the bench that was – consistent enough in the regular season, not so much in the postseason. And I think that's kind of the same role that is going to play, is that he won't get a lot of playing time in the postseason most likely, but in the regular season he's probably going to give you 10 to 15 minutes off the bench. He can at least shoot a three, which is something that this team off the bench needs desperately. And I think with Zaire hopefully not almost dying this se- this season, you can cross your fingers, he can be a very good bench player, and we saw he has amazing athleticism, which we knew. And I think off the bench, the defense is going to be Really, really, really solid. And while Kylo Quinn, you said he won't bring a lot, he'll be able on those nights where Joel Embiid needs to rest because they need to do that a lot this year. They need to not push him like 30 of 32 games to start the year or whatever it was. Play him 50, 55 games in the season. Kyle Quinn's going to have to score at least a little bit off the bench, which I think he's more than capable of. And then you've got Jonah Bolden as well, which he's just a wild card, but he can give you eight, 10 minutes a game off a bench consistently. And I think this bench, it's in a better situation than it was last year because last year, really, the reason they lost to Toronto is they didn't have that backup center who could at least play that three minutes that Joel Embiid had to sit. And now adding Al Horford, adding Kyle Quinn and hopefully another year of development with Jonah Bolden, you kind of – Hopefully, fix that situation that you won't run into it again.
2: Yeah, I guess that's the positions that I look now. Um, you, you kept talking about getting a backup center to you know spell Joe and you know take some minutes away from him because he desperately needs to just be able to stay healthy and taking minutes away from him is going to add uh, to the longevity of his, of his career. I kind of look at that backup three four spot. As, as a sign of weakness, and then also the the backup point guard. Even though you you did sign Neto, um, and and he does have some good good numbers. I mean, you look last year two two and a half assists and, and, and uh, to point nine turnovers. Um, obviously, not a ton of opportunity in uh, playing time in, in Utah I got about twelve minutes a game. Uh, but at least on, on those underlying stats, it's gonna be interesting to see what he can do possibly in a larger role now uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, do you remember where Kyle Quinn went to college?
1: Uh... I know he's from New York, but I don't remember where he went to college. North oh, State. He was on that upset team. Yeah, he was I on the... I think I remember watching that video. Mm-hmm.
2: He, was yeah, on, yeah. he was on the 15th seed over the two-seeded uh, Missouri Tigers. And, uh... Or, sorry, he wasn't... I guess... Was it... Uh, thing? yeah, they were a fifteen seed. Yeah, it was, it was fifteen over two. Yeah, they were fifteen seed. Um, and I remember yeah. watching like you know one of those highlights, and you just see Kylo Quinn. Now it was like you know last year, <laughs> you see Kyle Quinn now, and he's still got the beard, and you're like, holy shit. Um, anyways, I uh, just getting off track here. <laughs>
1: Hasn't aged in like ten years.
2: Yeah, I, I think what I want to ask now is if, if looking at this team, where would you place them in the East? And and obviously it's dependent on Kawhi, uh, you know, where he's going to sign. So let's say Kawhi signs with Toronto. All right, where would you yep. place the Sixers today?
1: Alright, if Kawhi signs at Toronto, they're number one. That's, that's, that's not arguable. They won the NBA title. They're number one. They're based, they are bringing back everybody. I don't think they lost anybody, right?
2: Um, they're, yeah. They're, uh, oh, they Nicola. might lose
1: McCaw. <laughs> yeah.
2: They lost okay. Miritich. They might
1: lose McCaw, and that's the key. Patrick McCaw wins all the NBA titles. But, uh, see, you look over at Milwaukee, who was obviously there last year. Uh, they lose, uh, Brogdon. They lose Miritich but they bring back Brooke Lopez and Chris Milton. They'll still be solid. And then you look at Boston, they lose Kyrie, they lose Al Horford, they bring in Cantor, they bring in Kemba. They'll be good. They're the wild card out there because if Gordon Hayward comes back like you think he might be able to, I don't think he can, but if he can, Gordon Hayward, the Celtics could be dangerous. The Bucks. I would – the Bucks lost a lot, but they kept most of their core. I would say, obviously, Raptors, number one. I would say Sixers would be 2-3 with the Bucks, And then Pacers, obviously – they bring in Brogdon, they lose Bogdanovich. That's a big loss. I don't know how effective Brogdon's going to be on another team that's not the Bucks. That's we talked about that last week. He was more valuable to the Bucks than anybody else, so that that might have been a little bit of an overpay. But Sixers really can't talk about overpays right now with the contracts they just gave out. Yeah, so I'll I think two three with the Bucks.
2: I, I think at least for Brogdon, I mean, it's 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 a you know, a first and you're expecting Pacers to be decent. So it's probably going to be a first and then two second rounders. And I, I think Brogdon too, he plays just such a, he, he doesn't play a specific play style. He's a guy that does everything well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a fine price that they paid for
1: him. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just saying, I don't know how I, I'm kind of, I, he'll be a solid player. I'm not arguing that. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, I don't know if he'll be as valuable to the Pacers as he was to the Bucks, just with their offense. And with he'll be more, he'll be way more effective when all of comes back healthy because that'll give them more wide open looks. But at the start of the year, I have my doubts of how good they're going to be. So that might help. That might make them fall a little bit in the standings. Um, but I really, I, I have a belief that Kemba is going to make the Celtics somewhat spark again. Like I said, it just takes comes back to if Jason Tatum can uh, can make a jump. And losing out Horford is probably going to be a bigger loss than you think. Because uh, oh, than anybody thinks because Ennis Cantor can't play defense, and I, that won't be changed in my mind. So, but him on five million dollars a year is a good deal. Like I said, I would probably put them second slash third with Milwaukee, depending on who stays healthy. All right,
2: and then I think what you now have to ask is if they beat one of those teams above them, whether you know, let's let's just put the Bucks above them. If they beat the Bucks or the Raptors, and this is with Kawhi, um, what would the reason be? Well, what's pushing the Sixers over that hump? What's the reason that's you know this team's gonna you know win the East?
1: Yeah, I think it's their defense. I think they're going to be the best defensive team in the league this year, barring if Kawhi goes back to the Raptors, then it'll it'll be the Raptors six one two if that happens. I think it's their defense, and I think it's a, I have this Homer belief that Ben Simmons will make be able to make a fifteen foot jump shot this year. I I just have I have that belief, and I have no there's no data to back it up. There's no proof. There's no nothing. I just have this. Weird belief. We had the same belief with Markel Fultz. we saw how that one turned out. Yeah, but Ben Simmons doesn't even believe he's going to make
2: a a fifteen footer.
1: Yeah, but we do because we're homers. Okay, that's what we do. That's, <laughs> you're that's a what homer. we do here in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. A... Yeah. You're right.
2: Hey, I'm not the Philly fan. I'm
1: talking about we. Okay, I'm talking about us <laughs> over here. Not you. Not Denver Nuggets fan. Just clarify. No, quotation marks on that. Hey. Um, but <laughs> I'm just saying. I think that uh, Benson was doing that. They have a better bench this year. They. I still have a shaky belief in Brett Brown that he can coach a playoff team. And like, and I'm going to point back to it, like people don't like when people say this, but they were one bounce away from going to overtime with the future NBA champions in game seven. So I'm just saying if Ben Simmons takes a little bit of a jump and the whole thing with this team is staying healthy. Al Horford getting up there in age, he he's always an injury scare just because he's over that threshold. Joel Embiid, don't really have to talk about it. He's just been hurt. And then the big thing. Another big thing that comes down with this team is obviously Benjamin's going to have to make some type of jump. He's a spectacular player, and anybody who says he's not worth that mass contract is an idiot and doesn't know what they're talking about. Tobias Harris is the big thing. You pay him a lot of money. He played his best career year and his contract year, and that is always a scary thing. You don't really know how it's going to shape up. You don't really know if he's going to come out and be the same guy next year. And him guarding threes, which he's most likely going to have to do for most of the year, I have my worries about. But this team with Seibel, Shake, Nato, Kylo Quinn, uh, Zaire off the bench, this team is definitely, I think, an improvement over last year. The only glaring question I think I have is five minutes left in the fourth quarter. Who's going to give you consistent offense like Jimmy Butler did mm-hmm. at the end of last year and kind of elevated them later in games? Cause I don't really know if they have that guy and maybe that guy is in Peter Simmons, but I don't like going to a big man for the last five minutes in the game, but Embiid has showed he can do anything. So, I mean, I'm not going to doubt the guy.
2: Yeah, I mean, if, if Ricky Widmer is here, I mean, he would be pretty much saying, you know, this is the year that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid need to take that step and be those guys uh, for, 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 the, uh, for the 76ers here. And the year before, it was Marco Bellinelli, it seemed like, and you know, and then, it was, <laughs> then it was Jimmy Butler. Uh, but I'm on the same page with you, at least for Tobias. I think the biggest thing for – I think the biggest upside – uh, at least to this deal for the sixers is that he was so bad shooting from the outside mm-hmm. with you guys he started off red hot uh but came down to earth around thirty two point six percent which is near one of his worst. He was at three thirty one point one uh in his like you know four or five years ago with orlando yeah. in his twenty three year old season um but since then he's usually been near forty percent you assume that's gonna go up you know he's it, him falling off the face of you know, being a decent shooter. Uh, pretty much, you know, full, you know, being league average, a little above league average, to below league average, uh, most likely isn't going to happen. So as long as you can add that, that's going to be a positive. Uh, but that five definitely scares me. But hey, if if he's able to add some late game offense, and Ben Simmons is able to step up, Joel Embiid's able to step up, that's going to be huge. Um, is that the biggest weakness then for for you? Is with the reason why you guys are losing? Uh, you know, if if you guys do lose uh, to the Raptors, to the Bucks, to the Pacers, etc., whoever it may be. Will it be that late game offense then, or will it be the coach? Will it just be lack of you know offensive stardom? What's what's the deal here?
1: Yeah, uh, and just to touch on Tobias Harris. I think um, when well, Ben was basically the secondary ball handler last year, and Jimmy was the primary ball handler in the playoffs, mm-hmm. I think Ben has to move into that primary ball handler role. That's he just has to. He, he literally has, he has to learn how to shoot a fifteen foot jump shot so they can't clog the paint against him. That is a must. But I think Tobias Harris slides into that secondary ball handler role. And getting him in more pick-and-roll situations is what I think they need to do to get him going again. Because I think he is a, a really, really good offensive talent. I just think the Sixers kind of just used him as a spot-up shooter last year in the playoffs. He didn't really get as many opportunities to handle the ball and work in the pick-and-roll situation. And I think that's another thing where Al Horford's going to come into play. Because, I mean, you could either stick him in the corner while you have a Joel Embiid pick-and-roll, or you could do it with Al Horford when you have to pick-and-roll with Al Horford and that Embiid cuts in or whatever. He's standing in the corner. But I think the biggest worry is finding consistent offense in the fourth quarter of close games. Cause I think the defense on this team is going to speak for itself. I mean, Josh Richardson is a great defender, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, we know what they do defensively. And then you add Al Horford, who is one of two guys who could guard Joel Embiid, other one being Marcus Stahl, who's on the Raptors. So I just think the team finding a consistent guy to give them offense late in the games. And maybe who the hell knows? Maybe that's Tobias Harris. I don't think it is right now. But it could be, and if Ben Simmons developed a jump shot, it could be him. They just have they have a lot of variables. They're going to work. They have to work out. And it might be a little bit dodgy to start the season uh, with if it's a close game against a good team, whoever they're facing. It might be. It's going to be interesting because it's going to be a trial and error. You're going to run the ball through Tobias Harris probably to start in late game. And if that doesn't work, then you can move Ben or Joel or whoever. It's just. It's going to take some time, I think, to find late-game offense and finding out what works for them and what doesn't.
2: Mm. And I think the biggest thing, too, is I don't think Ben will have a choice to be that primary ball handler. looking at the way this roster is constructed because you're not going to rely on Raul Nato off the bench. Um, I mean, ben, <laughs> is, ben is, it seems to be the guy, and they're going to put him in that situation with the lack of, you know, other true point guards on this roster outside of uh, you know, the new signing of uh, Neto. Um, final question. If the Sixers don't make it to the NBA Finals, this is a failure of a year.
1: I mean, I I would have to see where Kawhi signs first off. But mm-hmm. I would say I'd give it two to three years. I think this is their core. They are locked in now because Simmons is probably going to sign that five-year 170, whatever it was, the exact number. This is their core till 2022, 2023. And how I've been looking at the offseason is I love the players. I hate the contracts. I, I love Al Horford as a player. I like Toby as a player. Love Ben Simmons. I think Ben Simmons is the only guy who's worth that value in today's market. I think mm-hmm. future MVP candidate, all that, blah blah blah. But I think, I mean, you have to make it. You've got to be one of the final four teams in the league at least this year, and then you can see where the the, the season tapers off. But yeah, I think it's it's finals. I wouldn't say bust, but it's finals or disappointment. I would basically how I put it because this same team is most likely going to come back next year anyways. You have most of the people on. I think almost everybody on a more than one year contract. So this team is still put together. But if they're healthy come playoff time, and if they're what we think they can be, I would say it's finals or disappointment. At least, yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, five one seventy is the uh, the uh, max that they can offer to to Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, if they do not, you know, make it to the NBA Finals this year, if they if they miss out on that, who is the blame going to be put on? Is it going to be put on Brett Brown? This is the final question. Brett Brown. Elton Brand, or will he, do you think it'll end up being like you know Ben Simmons if he's not able to take that step offensively? Will it be on Joel Embiid? Uh, you know, w- whatever for whatever reason. Uh, who do you think the blame's yeah. going to end up on uh, at the end of the year?
1: Uh, well, I think it'll be. I think Twitter will still meme Ben Simmons regardless if he he could come out and shoot seventy percent from three and no. he would still get meme from if, Twitter. If, if, he, if, he,
2: if he goes out there and and, and performs, <laughs> I think they'll give him his credit. But if he comes out there yeah. and is not shooting threes, he'll he'll get trashed, and rightfully so, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's a different topic for a different day. But I think uh, it'll always fall on Brett Brown. I think he's this is this is his year. We said this last year, but we didn't really know the circumstances that we would end the season with. Mm-hmm. So this is this is his year. I still have belief in him. I still think I I had my questions about this front office going into this off season, but I think Elton Brand did a a pretty good job of using what he had at his disposal and what he said. At the, at draft night, he said, um, whatever, this will all make sense in a week. He's right. It did. Well, I don't, do I agree with all of it? No, but, um, I understand where he's coming from. So I think Brett, I think Elton Brand, obviously, depending on, they'll probably make a move or two at the deadline would be my assumption. It's what usually happens. Buyout out players and all that. Uh, I think he did a pretty good job this offseason. I think it's going to come down to Brett Brown. If he, it, we, we talked about this two months ago. Uh, when they got out, it's just you can't be running late-game offense around JJ Redick, and it's almost it hurts that he's gone because of the spacing. But at the same time, now it's time for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to truly, truly shine in the offense and be the court franchise cornerstones that we think they are. So I think this is on Brett Brown. This is a very good team. This is a top five roster in the NBA, and as long as everybody stays healthy, this team should at least be close to the finals, if not in the finals. And if they're not, it's going to be reflective on him. And if there's any quality head coaching uh head coaches available like there was not really this year then his he's he's probably going to be out
2: yeah jake it was a pleasure as always talking sixers with you uh always some great insight uh, and, and we didn't have to deal with dave or ricky jumping in and throwing in stupid remarks we had a uh, a smart or what i think is a very smart conversation about the 76ers <laughs> so thank you as always
1: yeah, thanks for having me
2: on. All right, check out patreon.com slash podcast. if you want to be like Jack. Uh, you can jump in Discord for a dollar, or you can hit up that $10 tier and come on to a podcast, pick the topic of your choosing, and talk to, about it with us uh, on this podcast. But welcome back. After Jake uh, joined us for the 76ers, we want to thank him. And obviously, if you want to be like Jake, check out patreon.com slash Uh But we are back with Dave Oster on the line. And we are going to talk about the Toronto Raptors. Unfortunately, losing Kawhi Leonard to the Los Angeles Clippers for those Toronto Raptors fans. And congratulations to those Clippers fans. But we're talking about what's the next for the Toronto Raptors. Looking at their uh, roster, Dave, you got OG Ananubi, Chris Boucher, uh, Mark Gasol, Serge, Jeremy Lin, Kyle Lowry, Jordan Lloyd, Pat McCall. But he's a free agent. I think uh, Lynn is as well. I could be wrong on that. Uh, Jody Meeks, Malcolm Miller, Eric Moreland. Norman Powell, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Fleet, the big ones being uh, Serge, OG, Mark, uh, Kyle Lowry, and then uh, going with Norm, Pascal, and Fred Van Fleet. Where does this put them post-Kawhi? It
0: still puts them in a pretty good place in the Eastern Conference. I'll be honest, it's not the best place to be, but y'all won your championship, so be happy. Uh, On the upside, though, they will have so much cap space up, next year. They're basically in a situation where the only guys under guaranteed contracts next year are Norman Powell. And then it's just options, RFAs. I mean, that's it. That's it. They've got all their money available. So, Kyle Lowry can come back on a friendly deal. Uh Fred VanVleet probably going to get some money. The question is, you know, how much long-term are they going to lock him up for? Mm-hmm. And, obviously, Pascal Siakam's going to earn that money. Like, Whatever it's going to be is going to be a huge dollar amount. I'm sure. I don't know if he gets full max. We'll see. This year he'll definitely have an opportunity to set himself up for it. But like this is a team where they didn't dig themselves into a hole to win this championship. You know, they moved on from Demar Derozan and ended up in a fantastic situation where Kawhi Leonard with basically no no strings attached kind of a deal. Yeah. And here we are. Their hangover period. You know, they they didn't end up like the Cavs where it's like, well, you guys are fucked for a couple of years now. No, they're still still a really good
2: team. Yeah, and they signed Stanley Johnson, too, who I missed. The the question I want to ask before we get into all this, because you bring up a great point about the contracts, there was the report that the Thunder offered both Russell Westbrook and Paul George to the Raptors to keep Kawhi Leonard, um, and they apparently turned it down. And looking at now how the contracts are set up, I think it makes sense. Do you agree with that?
0: I do. I would not have done that because... even if you get both those guys, it's not a guarantee that Kawhi would have signed. I'll be a hundred percent honest. Like, that's there. There was no hundred percent guarantee that. And I think that knowing that, that's why Messiah Ujiri was like. Well, well, you think if you think George if they scenario,
2: you think if they got Paul George, the guy he wanted to play with, he wouldn't have signed back.
0: I don't know how long he was signed back for. If it was going to be because remember there was like the rumors about the short term deal, the two and one, the one and one. Yeah, I don't trust any of that. I well the problem is I don't know what to trust anymore because, <laughs> but um, point being is I don't I don't think it was a hundred percent he was going to, I think there was still a chance that he wouldn't and setting yourself up with the guy who we just spent you know twenty minutes talking about Russell Westbrook being a detriment because of his contract like you could get stuck holding that pan and you know Kawhi demands a trade out or Paul George demands a trade out they both demand trade out at some mm-hmm. point so yeah. it's like it, that wasn't worth the risk when you have you know, the most improved player in the league in Pascal Siakam. Uh, you still have OG Anubi, who looks promising year one, year two. A uh, little bit of development issues, so we'll see, like, once he's all healthy again, coming into this year he can have a bigger role. And you just got some aging veterans on there, and Marcus All who $25 million bucks, yeah, no big deal, no big deal. And Kyle Lowry on the final year of his contract as well. So I think this year is just like a, meh. Yeah. You could probably make the playoffs in the East, no problem, and then see who wants to come back on friendlier deals between Lowry and uh, Marc Gasol, mm-hmm. and play it out from there.
2: Yeah, I want to. I want to paint a clear picture about that that cap figure because uh, next year, like you said, Kawhi Leonard gone. Or sorry, uh, Kyle Lowry gone. He's a UFA in 2020. So is Fred Van Fleet. He's a UFA. Uh, Norman Powell is there until 2021. Uh, he'll be at UFA in 2022. He does have a player option for 11.6 mil in 2021. Uh, Pat McCall is currently an RFA. Stanley Johnson just signed, he uh, has signed for a 3.6 million dollar contract this year, and then he's got a player option 2020 for 3.8, so he'd be gone by 2021. OG Ananubi has a team option. In 2020, for $3.8 million. Malcolm Miller's off the books in 2020. Serge Ibaka's 23.2 is off the books next year. He'll be UFA in 2020. Siakam is an RFA in uh, 2020. Chris Boucher, uh, former Oregon Duck, is a, uh, an RFA in uh, in 2020 as well for 1.5. And then Mark Gasol is a UFA in 2020 as well. So you look at that, and that's a fresh start. And we see this huge movement of what I think is going to happen, and we see teams pretty much tanking or going for it. And now I think it's just going to become more drastic. We see every team either going for it, and now we're going to see teams just fully pull pull away from it and try to get that draft stock so they can build through the draft. And I think that's what Toronto's going to be doing come 2020. I think the only player that is for sure there, um, outside of the guys with options, um, if we're talking about core guys like Van Fleet, uh, Lowry, uh, Ananubi, uh, Serge, S- Siakam, and Gasol, I think the only person that's for sure there after the 2020 season is Pascal Siakam.
0: Yeah, I mean, he is something special for sure. And I think we're just starting to scratch the surface on how good he can be. Uh, Fred Fleet would be awesome to bring back, and I think that that's one that they'd like to do. Um, reward him, he had a great, great finals. And uh, I love a lot of the other guys, but I just don't know. I think mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of money that can be tossed around from other teams, and like you said, maybe they can get some team friendly deals. Maybe they just decide that look, we don't need to resign a thirty something year old center That's or a mid thirties point guard.
2: That's like, the thing is, I think that even with Van Fleet too, I don't think they should sign resign Kyle Lowry. I don't think they should resign uh, Marcus All. I don't think they yeah. should bring back uh, Serge Ibaka. And even then, you talk about Fred Van Fleet, and yes, he had this great. You know, performance in the finals, and and he is super important to that team, but he was important to the 2019 team, and he might not be important to the 2023 team. And I think that's when their window might reopen again. And I think if you're talking about Fred Van Fleet, a guy who just had a fantastic finals, and we have all these teams going for it, right? And he's on a cheap deal for $9.4 million, you could possibly hit it big come trade deadline to a team that wants him to add a, a, a backup uh, point guard or even, even a starting point guard. I mean, he, I think he showed it in the, the finals that he could be up to that caliber. I think yeah. that, you know, since he isn't an RFA, you might dangle him out there as trade bait come, you know, February.
0: That'd be interesting. If they're in that situation where they could move on from Fred Van VanVleet for, you know, either young talent or draft picks, that would be an intriguing move because, you know, it's, it's one thing to be like, look, we're not going to win a championship this year, but I think you have to let it play out. So if they're struggling, if there's an injury or something that happens and, you know, they're in a position where, you know, the championship odds are not well and they can get good value back. Sure. Yeah. But that's why I say I, trade deadline. Yeah. How good are you going to be? You know, can Pascal Siakam take yet another step? Can OG and Anubi take a step forward? Because if, if those two things happen, who knows where this team's going to be at, but yeah, if they're in a position where it's looking unlikely, I would try to get the most benefit out of these players who I'm not planning on resigning anyway.
2: Yeah, and I, I, think, I think, too, with, with all of this, um, like especially with, uh, w- with those contracts and being freed up, you're going to be able to take on bad contracts as well if you get to that point. And I think that the Raptors' goal, again, was just to win a championship. You did that. And now it's time to make sure you win another championship. And that doesn't have to be right away. You want to build a team that can last a long time. And they were able to do that with DeRozan and Lowry. And to hit that window, they had to move away from DeRozan. And I think to make sure that you open up another window, you might make have to make some heart, disheartening moves to build up this team. And I don't think there's really anybody left of the core left that is really salvageable. And I'm kind of compare it to hockey. You look at the Blackhawks, and they won three championships in, in, in five years and when the way the salary cap is is played out in hockey I know you don't know Dave because you don't care about hockey um True that it, it's pretty much it gets it gets tighter for ch- teams that won the championship because you you want to be able to you know recycle teams you're not able to build dynasties so it gets tougher to keep these guys and the Blackhawks had to move away from you know key depth pieces and 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 get get rid of them way before they wanted to and Right now, with, with the Raptors and, and, and with the Blackhawks, too, they were able to keep Patrick Kane and J- Jonathan Tays. So that, that ability to you know, cycle out depth really came back to them for, for some of them. They've been able to rebuild and replenish their depth. But the only way for them to replenish their depth and, and become a great team again is I think they have to start fully new and fully fresh because there isn't that core guy anymore. You know, if Kawhi was there, then that would totally change things, and I think they'd be making different moves to, you know, extend that window even longer. But now I think you got to close that window on yourself just to reopen it again a couple of years down the line.
0: I agree. It's it's a hard thing to admit, but it's a smart move long term for the franchise, and they did a great job by setting themselves up for it in the past and. Not taking on any extra water during the process. So.
2: Well, and what's the one Future thing Masai, you, you, Jerry can do is, is scout talent.
0: Yeah, no, no. It'll be very interesting to see uh, if there if there's some intriguing undrafted free agent pickups uh, post summer league that end up on the uh, 905. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be looking out. I'll be looking out.
2: Uh, so you talked a little bit about playoffs. Should that be the expectation for the Raptors, or should it just be play and see?
0: I think that the first month you're going to get to see a lot out of what they want to roll out. Like, how can you build an offense around, is it going to be around Pascal Siakuma as the focal point? If so, how is that going to look? How good are you guys? Because, honestly, Serge Gasol uh, at the 4-5, uh, or basically Serge and Gasol switching off at the 5, mm-hmm. and then Pascal at the 4, OG at the 3, with Stan John backing him up. Lowry's still at the one. You can roll Van Bley at the two or Norm. Either one of those guys. Like that roster is still probably better than the majority of the East. So I think they're I think a playoff
2: the team, team. But that's the thing is, like, even if you're a playoff team, I think I think that it's it's super weird to say, but I think that even might put them into sell mode. Like that's how drastic I think it is becoming the is with these teams.
0: Like, how are you gonna sell a thirty five million dollar you know Cal Lowry? You know that's if what I'm saying. Van Fleet. Yeah, like I a get the
2: Van Vliet, like a like a, a nine million dollar Van Fleet, I think that could be uh, you know a sellable thing. Twenty three million dollar Serge Ibaka, I think that defense off the bench is probably sellable.
1: Potentially, he's
0: got that killer mid range game to him too. Um, Marcus yeah, saw. I mean, he we saw that
2: are... he, he was picked up by a, a championship team last year. I wouldn't be too shocked if if someone wants to add him again.
0: Yeah, it's just moving that money around could get difficult, but because they do have the space, you know, to take on larger contracts in the future. They're... There, there could be some flexibility there. I don't know. I think I might let it play out. I want to see how good Pascal Siakam is as the focal point of the team. To be 100% honest with you. Yeah, it's like, going That's why I'm not locking anything in. Is like, oh, they should be sellers. I'm like, I want to see Pascal and OG together. And I think those are the two key pieces moving forward. And we'll see after a month or two where they're at really. But either way, it's they're they're looking for the future. I don't think they're this year's going to be a realistic championship window for them. <laughs> But I don't know if they necessarily have to sell the guys out, you know. That might hurt some goodwill of the franchise, and it's already hard enough to get guys to come up to play in Toronto as it stands. Mm-hmm.
2: I, Dave, you know I'm a person that wants to be right immediately, so of course I'm going to just come hot out the gate and stick to it, especially yeah. eight months later. That's so why I bet my face on uh, LeBron staying in Cleveland. That's why I was betting myself on uh, KD and uh, KD and Kyrie not signing in, in New York. They didn't. They signed in Brooklyn, which is different, at least from a team name. Uh, geographically, it's the same place. Um, yeah But you know, I'm going to stick with it. I think that this team needs to needs to clean it up, and I think that's why they they structured that salary that way. And I think that. When it comes to 2022, the only Raptor that would might be still on the team, there might be others uh, strangling along. I would be surprised if Norm Powell stayed, there, stayed along or if they did decide to uh, resend Van Fleet, I don't think it would be a bad idea. Uh, but you know, come 2022, I think the only name that I could for sure marker in would be Siakam because I don't think he's a star enough to demand a way out and getting that money, if they give him a max as an RFA, I think he would stay. So I, I'd, I'd Sharpie in. Uh, Pascal Siakam's name for the 2022 Raptors but outside of that there's no name I'm putting
1: down
0: nice yeah uh- I, I begrudgingly will agree with you on that because I want to will and newbie there, but I don't know he's not he's not shown me enough to be there.
2: The we agree podcast just hit you <laughs> for 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 a pretty decent time, and that's because Kawhi Leonard got traded. Kawhi Leonard signed with the Clippers, and and, and he got Paul George to be traded to the Clippers. Uh, so we're gonna come out big and and swinging, and hopefully we get this up soon. Uh, I got a lot of work to do, uh, so we're gonna end this podcast, Dave.
0: Oh Jesus, uh, Firkin, uh just or Feckin just tweeted what I heard. I'd have Woj notifications turned on. Fifty-three minutes ago. What? Uh, I'm on the Thunder's uh, subreddit, and uh, one of the reporters said I'd have the Woj turn notifications turned on. Oh,
2: so Jesus!
0: So Russ could get traded shortly.
2: I have, I have Russ, I have Woj on uh, on notifications. Jesus Christ!
0: Yep. So we'll see. There, there could be a trade tonight. Who knows?
2: Oh no! Oh, Dave, <laughs> throw a guess out there because we're probably going to be recording a podcast soon.
0: makes that they're they're a rumored team they've got pieces they've got cash to match um i don't want it to happen but it, they, they they could do it i'd please not the bulls please not the bulls
2: i'm gonna say the bulls
0: no not the bulls
2: how do you spell that reporter's name uh Fecken. the great nate Fecken. yep Fecken. Fecken. uh yep, i don't see that tweet ago, he
0: had a tweet um Nate Fecken. oh, he was replying to, uh, my name is Kaylee, who I have oh,
2: no idea. Oh, okay, yeah, I see it. So uh, he tweeted, just came into the station, Thunder facility is very close. Uh, there were eight vehicles in a parking lot uh, at 1.30 a.m. Saturday morning. Did you see some cars at the practice facility tonight on your way? Great, Nate, just curious if Sam is going to pull another fast one on us Thunder fans. There's been a, and then he said, "There's a bunch. Uh, there's been a bunch there all day, was too exhausted to go look. When I left earlier, well, and then someone said, well, I get it together because I need answers. And then they said, from what I've heard, have Woj notifications on. So hopefully this guy's right, and uh, hopefully we get some news. Uh, But also hopefully not, because please give me a break. At least make it Wednesday, (laughs) because I need to edit a podcast. All right. Uh, Dave, thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Sean. Holding down the fort.
2: No problem. I miss you guys. Have fun out in Summer League and avoid any earthquakes. We also want to thank Jake for joining us on the podcast. If you want to be like Jake, check out patreon.com slash podcast. This is the intro or the the outro that I did not do uh, when Jake was on. So uh, this is the end of the podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. Don't forget to check us out on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, YouTube, etc., especially that Patreon link, uh, patreon.com slash Podcast. We have a ton of people in there talking every single day, dropping links, dropping hot takes, dropping bad advice. Check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. It's a fun time. Again, for Dave Oster, for Jake, I'm Sean, and for Ricky, too. Ricky's in the other room. Uh, You can kind of hear him uh, in Dave's phone. Uh, Shout out to Ricky. Uh, Shout out to everybody who's watching. We will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book
2: club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.